In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. More on the very important subject of faith next on Daily in Christ. And once again, I welcome you. I'm Mark Van Oos, and I'm so glad to have you joining us as we engage the greatest subject in all of the universe, God himself in his holy word. We have been in a series through the book of Hebrews, studying the book of Hebrews. The series is titled Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant, and we are in the midst of a sub-series within that larger series called The Just Shall Live by Faith. Well, today we are in part three of that mini-series, The Just Shall Live by Faith, part 33 in the Hebrews series. Last time, we dug into the question, what is faith? And we discussed the fact that there are two aspects of faith. First, faith looks to the person of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory, and then we in Christ, which speaks of our completeness right now. Christ himself is our completeness. Our completeness is not a process. Our completeness is not a stage. Our completeness is not a crisis. Our completeness is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So faith, first of all, looks to the person of the living Lord Jesus Christ. The second aspect of faith that we looked at is acknowledging and enjoying the perfect finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledging and enjoying the perfect finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, that's what Hebrews is all about, isn't it? It's centered on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfection and completeness. And the second aspect of Hebrews is the perfect finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the look to the person of Jesus and also the acknowledging and enjoying of his perfect finished work. We also looked at Hebrews 10.39, which says, We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving, the preserving of the soul. Now, we are not believers because we believe. We are believers because God has made us believers. And all of that is because of the perfection of Jesus and his finished work. Now, I want to take some time right here and clarify things because Hebrews talks a lot about the perfection of Jesus as the Son of God and the Son of Man and the perfect accomplishments of his perfect finished work. But you may wonder, well, what does this mean for me? Well, first of all, because of the perfection of Jesus, God giving his son. Remember what it says in John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God, the father giving you his son demonstrates how much he loves you. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
What does the perfection of Jesus and the perfection of his accomplishments, of his finished work, mean for us? Well, second, it means that God has provided all for us already. See, the provision is not future tense. The provision is already now. If you are saved, if you're born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, you already have all. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see it? Do you connect the dots? God the Father didn't even spare his own son. How could he top his son? The Lord Jesus Christ is ultimate and perfect provision. As a matter of fact, if God were to give you more, he would bankrupt heaven. What more could he give than the giving of himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Grab a hold of this. This demonstrates how much God loves us. And this secondly means that God has provided all for you already. Faith grabs a hold of what God's grace through Jesus Christ has provided for you already. You know, I want to stop right here and I think we need to pray because we don't want to miss looking to the Holy Spirit to bring enlightenment, to bring understanding, to bring revelation. So let's pray. Father, as we are in this very important point of truth, where the rubber meets the road, as it were, the faith walk, Lord, it's so easy for us to be standing right in front of the answer and miss it somehow. And the answer is the perfection and completeness of Jesus and his completeness inside of us and our completeness inside of him. And Father, I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would just turn the light on, bring supernatural revelation and understanding of you in all of this. And Father, I also pray that you would bring us, I need this too, supernatural illumination, revelation of yourself in the fact that you have provided all for us already. There is nothing more that you could possibly give. Our prayer, Father, is not a prayer asking for something, but thanking you for the provision which your grace so richly provides. Now, Father, as we dig into your word, I pray that you would guide us, that you would speak to my heart and the heart of our listener. Father, that you would reveal Jesus in the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we talk about the rich provision of the Father's love in giving his perfect Son for us and the provision that we have with Jesus, it can be, well, we can think, why would God do that? Why would he why would he bless me so much? You know, I think about what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, I believe in verse 6 it says that to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us highly favored in the beloved. That's in Ephesians 1:6 and the word 
uh, that's translated frequently in the English text as accepted actually is highly favored to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us highly favored in the beloved right there that's an important key it is all of grace remember dear friend that grace is god perfectly loving you perfectly accepting you and perfectly blessing you not because you are so good but because he is that good. It's critically important to see that God has already provided all for you. Done. In the past. Already yours. All now. You, my friend, and I, and every child in Christ, already have all. But you may be wondering, well, wait a minute. If God has already provided all for me, then why don't I see this provision? Why do I have so many unmet needs? Why are there so many problems in my relationships? Why am I struggling at work? Why am I struggling to make ends meet? Why am I so sick? Because, listen, the just shall live by faith. You see, while God has already provided us all, It must be received. It must be appropriated by faith. That's key. Now listen, grace is the giving of God. It's the provision and supply of God. But grace received is received by faith. Some Christians understand the necessity of faith, but they neglect to understand grace and that grace is God's whole basis of blessing and providing for us or there might be christians who do have a good sense of grace but they they don't understand that they need to take it the provision the loving provision of our heavenly father by faith let me say this again while god has already provided all it must be received it must be appropriated by faith let me give you a few examples Let's say, for example, you and I were invited to a sumptuous dinner at a five-star New York restaurant. It is a meal that costs over $100 just for your meal. It's completely paid for by a good friend, and it's all right there in front of us. The smells of that incredible meal, gourmet feast, are filling our nostrils But you see, it's not any good for you. It's not any good for me unless we eat it. We must appropriate it. We must take hold of the food for ourselves and eat it. Take it in. It is quite possible for a person who has tons of food all around them to starve to death by not eating. Okay, so the five-star banquet is like God's provision for you. Already paid for it. You don't have to pay anything. You can walk right in, get the best seat in the whole restaurant, and enjoy their best meal. All paid for. But it's no good for you if you don't pick up your fork, scoop the food up, put it in your mouth, and eat it. That is like faith. Here's another example. Let's say that someone very generous and very loving gave you $1 million. 
okay? They gave it to you. It's deposited in your bank. But if you never take it, if you never use it, if you don't write a check against that money, it won't do you any good. Both of these cases, you can see that we have it already, but it does us no good if we do not personally take it and take it in, use it. It is quite possible for a Christian for whom God has provided all through the perfections of Jesus, through his perfect finished work, to live a miserable, defeated life unless... That Christian takes by faith what God has already provided for them. That's where most Christians are failing. They don't understand that the just shall live by faith. Now, it's not faith in faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in his finished work. It's understanding that you have it already because God has given his son for you, not just for you, but in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.28, and you in Christ, you are complete in him. And all of that is done by God himself as a unilateral act of love, as an act of grace. You see it? Grace is the loving supply of your heavenly father. You've got it. You don't have to wait down the road. You have it. You have it because all that Jesus did happened 2,000 years ago. You have it. Now, you need to take it by faith. Just like that five-star meal, if you don't pick up the fork and you don't eat it, it won't do you any good. You'll just be living on smells. Or if that generous person deposited a million dollars in your bank account, if you didn't write checks, you could write a check and pay off the mortgage. Woohoo! You could write checks and pay off all your debts. But if you don't do it, what benefit is it to you? None. You see, God's already done provision for you is way beyond all you could need or even ask for. You know, one of my favorite examples, more contemporary examples of faith, is George Mueller. George Mueller was a uh, uh, Christian from Germany who lived in Bristol, England. And before George Mueller was saved, he was a rascal. He would, you know, he... He would steal things from people right out of their pocket. When he got saved, God so transformed him from being someone who was a taker to a giver. And God abundantly met George Mueller's needs. And he went on to take the provision by faith. And he built orphanages, ultimately housing 6,000 orphans from all over England. Plus, he gave to over 100 mission agencies, and he also gave in the support of Christian schools. Now, we can look at someone like George Mueller. If you can read anything about him, it'll just encourage your faith. But we can read about George Mueller and go, oh, wow. Yeah, there's just some Christians who are super spiritual. There are some Christians who are heroes of faith. 
No, there are no super Christians. There are no heroes of faith. There are Christians like you and me who are nothing, but they're everything because of the one who is inside them, the Lord Jesus Christ. And those Christians have said, you know what? Father has richly provided for me as he has for all of his children. I am going to take it by faith and I'm going to trust him. And God just over and over again in supernatural ways met not only George Mueller's needs, but the needs of thousands of orphans and all of his workers that were taking care of the, the orphans and all of those Christian mission agencies. In fact, uh, in Hudson Taylor's, uh, the book about Hudson Taylor's life, uh, there was a point in which George Mueller gave Hudson Taylor 10,000 pounds. That's something like a quarter of a million American dollars. That's incredible. It was all by faith. And yet, this should be the norm for the Christian life. But is it? Unfortunately, not. And because we don't take what God's grace has already supplied, missionaries are unfunded. And they end up wasting a lot of time off the field raising support. The poor and the needy continue that way without help. The homeless don't have shelter or jobs or help. Uh, There are many other examples of people that could be blessed by Christians walking in the full provision of God by faith. You see, I honestly believe that God wants us to live as we truly are, blessed children of God, beyond ourselves to finally be of some good use to this world and the kingdom of God. Look, God, of course, intends to meet your needs, but he wants to go so far above and beyond that so that you are a blessing. I love 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Here's what it says. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now that's grace. That's the power of God's grace. And you notice that it says that God is able to make all grace abound. Faith really is trusting the ability and the power and the provision of God. See, faith receives and appropriates what God has already provided through grace because of the perfection of his son, Jesus, and his perfect finished work. Remember the context of Hebrews chapter 11 is all of Hebrews, which is all about God the Father's perfect provision of a perfect son, perfectly accomplishing all for you and for me. Jesus finished all so that you, my friend, could enjoy all. But it must be received by faith. It's just like salvation. Jesus accomplished all for your perfect salvation 2,000 years ago on the cross. But you did not receive the benefit of such a great salvation without faith, right? Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John 3.16, we mentioned this a few minutes ago, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that, here's the faith step, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Jesus finished all so that you could enjoy all but it must be received by faith. And we're examining in the context of God's infinite grace through Jesus what faith is. And remember that it's important to personally take the provision that God has given. Take it in and use it. The just shall live by faith. All right, we've spent so much time Boy, the better part of three episodes, just setting things up, just getting the a proper foundation established as we now get into uh, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verses 1 and 2. I hope you appreciated the fact of what needed to be done to get this all set up, because I think so many Christians look at faith in a way that sort of Well, we'll get into what faith is not in just a minute. Let's take a look at Hebrews 11 verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Let me say it again. I so rarely hear this said on the subject of faith. Faith and this faith chapter in Hebrews 11 is so often wrenched out of context. The proper context of Jesus Christ is neglected. And remember what all of Hebrews chapters 1 through 10 was all about. Our faith is in a person, on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that he has accomplished all perfectly. He's done. He's seated. Remember what we said in Hebrews chapter 4 when we were talking about the biblical concept of rest? We who have believed, that's in the perfect tense, to enter that rest. There's one belief that leads to salvation that brings us into a rest we can't get out of. Now, we can live, and that rest, remember, is the finished work of God. We can live as if God's not finished. We can live as if not enough. We can live as if we don't have all. But the fact is we do have all. And we enjoy all through Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment here and take a look at what faith is not. I was, uh, uh, I saw a little placard one time that said this. It's an old Zen saying, not a Christian saying, Leap and the net will appear. You know, I think that many Christians, in effect, believe this. Leap and the net will appear. Uh, You'll hear the leap of faith. But you see, real biblical faith is completely the opposite. Faith is not some leap in the darkness and, well, I hope the net will appear. But faith is grounded in the integrity of God's word and the finished work of of our perfect Lord Jesus Christ. The basis of faith is Jesus. Secondly, faith is not a feeling. Sometimes in our faith walk, 
we have to believe, and there may not be feelings that go along with it, but we're saying, well, the God of the, 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 God of the word, that's true. The word of God says thus, and it's true. So whether I feel like it or not, I believe. Faith is not a feeling. Third, faith is not wishful thinking. Okay, well, um, you know, Lord, I hope this works out. Yes, uh, that would be good if I could be healed. That would be good if I could be uh, have provision. It would be good if my relationship could be healed. It would be good if my neighbor would get saved. No, faith is not wishful thinking. It is grounded in the certainty of God's word. Here's something that's a little bit more subtle. Another faith, what faith is not. Faith is not faith in faith. Too often, the subject of faith is taught in a way that draws our attention to faith, not Jesus. So the result is that the hearers of such teaching end up focusing on faith and not on Jesus. You know, it's the devil's trick to do whatever he can to get us focused on anything else, even faith, instead of being focused on Jesus. Let me say that again. The devil's old trick in a million and one different ways is to get us focused on something else, even faith, instead of Jesus. Many Christians make the same mistake that that Jesus' disciples made when they asked, increase our faith. They thought they needed more faith. That's in Luke 17.5. But what was Jesus' answer? He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed is the smallest wee little seed you can find. I remember I was in a meeting one time and they passed out mustard seeds. You know, it went on your fingertip and it was about the size of the head of a pin. Very small. And yet this one little seed planted becomes a large bush, almost like a tree. Jesus said you don't need more faith. His answer to their request for more faith was, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you don't need more faith. What's needed is the look of faith, the trust of faith in the person of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. The object of our faith is key. Now, This may sound controversial. It is not. It's very biblical. It is not faith in the Bible. The Bible informs our faith in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us the truth. Faith stands upon the truth of God's word and looks to the living person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not some sort of abstract application of a principle. That's dead religion. This is lively faith. Faith in a living person. A person who is alive. A person who has a mind. A person who has personality. A person who has strength. A person who has resources. Unbelievable resources. The word, the Bible, informs our faith. But faith's object is not the Bible. Faith's object is Jesus. Remember what the Lord said to the scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law, John 5, 39 and 40. He said, you diligently search the scriptures because you believe in them you have eternal life. 
But these are they which testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There's all the pieces right there. Jesus was not faulting them for studying the scriptures. He was faulting why they were studying the scriptures. They believed that eternal life was in the scriptures, in an it. No, eternal life is part and parcel of a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, right in front of dead Lazarus's tomb, I am the resurrection and the life. Faith is focused on Jesus. One more faith is not. Faith is not like the Polar Express movie's main message, believe. You know, just believe. You want to say believe in what? And, and it almost comes across of anything. Believe, believe, believe. Believe for believing's sake. <laughs> uh, it's crazy what people think. You know, that, that's, that's actually godless believing, what else would you expect from the world, right? Believe, just believe. Believe in what? I don't know. Believe. But a lot of Christians, I think, have that false notion as well. They believe for believing's sake. No, 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 no. It says right here in Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is. Okay, so, so listen up. Biblical faith is based only upon the word of God. Faith is, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's where a lot of Christians are struggling in their faith walk with the Lord. Uh, they uh, go into the word of God, or if they do at all, or they don't have that exposure to the word of God, the Bible, and then they wonder why their faith walk is struggling. It is important that we spend time in God's word. But remember, the word is not how to live a better life. The word is the life is Christ. We can be like the scribes, Pharisees, and teachers of the law, you know, digging into the word to find out how to live. I mean, that's basically what their mistake was. No, the word is points to and testifies to the one who is the life. Colossians 3 says, when Christ, who is our life, appears. We are not to live for God. We are to live from God. God is the life, not living for him. So, faith is. That, you know, that's a very important point right there. Faith is. Faith itself operates in the now, operates in the present tense, okay? But here's something interesting of what it says there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, hoped for refers to the future, but let's take a look at this word substance. The Greek word for substance is uh, hypostasis, and... Um, one Bible dictionary defines that word as in this way. In general, that which underlies the apparent, hence reality, essence, substance. That which is the basis of something, hence assurance, guarantee, and confidence. The ground of confidence, the assurance, the guarantee, or proof. 
That's what substance means. I even just think of the word substance. You know, when I say that something has substance, it means it's got what it needs. Faith is the substance, the basis, the guarantee. Uh, Some have seen that word to mean the title deed. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The uh, English Standard Version Bible uh, study Bible says this by defining faith the Greek word pistis as assurance and conviction the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking instead faith is a settled confidence that something in the future something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. That's good. I like that. Let me say that sentence again. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen, but has been promised by God will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Uh, The notes continue. Thus, biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence, not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy, the God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation, and who will never leave nor forsake his own. Hebrews 13.5. Such faith in the unseen realities of God is emphasized throughout Hebrews chapter 11, and has provided confidence and assurance to all who receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Isn't that good? You know, where it says that... Uh, Faith uh, trusts the promises of God will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. A little bit later, we're going to look at the faith testimony of Abraham and we'll dig into this idea in greater depth in trusting in God's ability to bring about the promise. Now, again, it says the substance of things hoped for. And whenever you hear the word hope in the Bible, it's not, I hope I win the lottery. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope I ace this test. I hope I get to the train station in time. No, faith, uh, biblical hope rather, is future f- focus, but it's based on the certainty of God's word right now. Okay. I need to move along. Faith is the evidence. Now, the Greek word for evidence means proof, just like the way we use the word. I Evidence. Uh, it reminds me of one time I was watching a police drama on TV, and in a particular scene, the investigators were at the scene of a murder. Well, a friend of the victim somehow got through the police line and entered the crime scene. The investigators questioned her, and as they did, their suspicions were aroused. To this, the woman insisted that she was innocent. She said, you don't believe me, do you? To which the investigators said, I believe the evidence. Wow. You know, despite outward appearances, we must hold fast to the word of God, and in like fashion, we must say, I believe the evidence. Here's a a mistake 
it would be to think, I know that God's word says that I am complete in Christ or I am the righteousness of God because Jesus was made sin or I am forgiven of all my sins, past, present, and future, or, you know, by his stripes I am healed. But the mistake that a person has in the face of that grace provision is this, despite knowing what the word says about what we already have by grace, and then turning around and saying, well, I don't understand this. Let me draw a direct line, okay, between faith and evidence, okay? The evidence being God's word, the testimony of God's word. There should be nothing in between. Even when we say, well, I don't understand how that works. You know, a a fault, a hindrance to faith is needing to mentally understand God's truth before we can have faith. Let me ask you this. Do you need to understand aerodynamics in order to fly in a jet? Well, of course not. Faith receives the evidence of God's truth, God's word, and believes. Not because we mentally get it, but because God never lies. Because God said it. It's not what we popularly hear in Christian circles. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. Wrong. What you should say is God said it, and that settles it for me. Therefore, I believe. Got it? Nothing in between the evidence and you and your believing. God said it. That settles it for me. Therefore, I believe. Do not, do not, do not put anything between the truth of God's word and you believing. Not, don't put mental understanding in between you. Don't put your feelings Don't put experience. Certainly do not put human wisdom in between the truth of God's word and you believing. Don't put, well, we never did it that way before. Don't even put your church's doctrine in between the truth of God's word and you believing. As a matter of fact, don't even put your pastor, your minister, your priest, your rabbi, your elder, your imam, your lama, or your guru in between the truth of God's word and you believing. Nothing comes between God's holy word and you believing nothing. My dear friends, that is critical to faith. Just like that police investigator said, I believe the evidence. What is the evidence? God's holy word, period. I know that there can be times in which we can look at our life circumstances and it can seem to us that God's word is wrong. Yeah, but have you seen my bank account? Yeah, but did you hear what my doctor just told me? Yeah, but have you seen the way my marriage is going? Yeah, but have you seen how rebellious my kids are? Yeah, everybody's getting pink slips at work. You see, we can rely on our human understanding and our human perception and our human wisdom, and that's disastrous disastrous to the walk of faith. Let me use an example. Pilots, those who fly airplanes, know, experienced pilots know to rely on their flight instruments, not on relying on their instincts or their perception. And as they go through training, 
they learn about the instruments, how they work. Then the next phase is uh, they learn to rely upon those instruments. And then the third thing that a trained pilot will get in his training and his certification, his, his instrument certification, is learning not to trust in themselves, not to trust in their own instincts. And the, the flight instructor may do something with the plane that puts that uh, plane into a situation where the pilot doesn't know where up is up and down is down. In fact, an all too common and tragic mistake of inexperienced pilots is that they become disoriented. You know, when you get your feet off the ground, it's easy to get things confused, to confuse up with down. And that was the tragic reason behind the death of John F. Kennedy Jr. back in 1999, he was flying a Cessna. His wife was with him and uh, his uh, sister-in-law. And they were flying at night. And there was a portion of the flight that took them out over the open water, away from the familiar lights that would be a reference point on the horizon. Plus, there was haze that further added to the difficulty. Anyway, he really wasn't fully certified in instrument flying. And Apparently, we don't know exactly how, the plane plummeted from 2,000 feet down to 1,000 feet in the space of 14 seconds. Those who are experienced pilots, and in fact, uh, here's what the National Transportation Safety Board's investigation concluded, quote, the pilot's failure to maintain control of the airplane during a descent over water at night, which was a result of spatial disorientation. That right there, where a person just doesn't understand where they are in relation to the environs, to the horizon. That's why the experienced pilot, no matter how much his instincts are screaming otherwise, will rapidly rely upon his instrumentation. That's critical. That's very important. That's a picture of the life of faith, where we hold to the truth of God's word, no matter about how we feel, how our perception is about so-called reality. Look, is it really reality when we discount God? Is it really reality when we discount his word? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. I know we're running long, but I really want to get these concepts in. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So the biblical evidence is really in something that we cannot see. Now, here's something really interesting. Faith looks to the unseen realm. Why? Well, God is spirit. And as a spirit is unseen by our human perception, our sight, our hearing, our um, sense of smell, and so forth, are all locked in on things which are seen. You know, a few generations ago, people who talked about things unseen were considered fools, maybe even out of their minds by the knowledgeable elites, the scientists of the day. But as science has progressed, scientists are finding out more and more the things which are seen are precisely because of things which are unseen. For example, atoms and molecules, they're unseen to the naked eye, are the building blocks of matter. 
Cells are the building blocks of living things. DNA are the blueprints within each cell of that living thing. Photons are those particles which give us light. And now scientists tell us that visible light is now understood to be part and just a small part of the larger electromagnetic spectrum of X-rays, infrared, ultraviolet, gamma rays, and so forth. So isn't it interesting that even science is starting to see that the things which are seen are really the result of things that are unseen. That's biblical. Hebrews 11.3 says this, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are not were not, uh, were made of things which are visible. Let me say that again. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. There, I got it right. (laughs) One more time. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's 2 Corinthians 4.18. This theme of evidence of things not seen is repeated throughout Hebrews 11. For instance, Hebrews 11.7 says this, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Hebrews 11.7. And in Hebrews 11.27, we read this, by faith, speaking of um, Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Hebrews 11.27. Now we see in this very first verse, Hebrews 11, 1, uh, all of the key themes of Hebrews 11, which will be fleshed out in specific examples of those who walked by faith, lived by faith. Uh, First, things hoped for, future, yet to come. Second, things not seen. And third, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Let's just focus on that second verse. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. You know, this is a very interesting note that all of the people who are listed in Hebrews 11, did you know that they all lived before Jesus was born? Before his perfect conception, perfect birth, perfect life, perfect sacrifice, perfect death, perfect resurrection, perfect ascension. It says in Hebrews eleven thirty nine and 40, and all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Now, why is it that in Hebrews 11, all the examples of faith that are of those who uh, walk by faith, the just shall live by faith, why are they before Christ people? Well, the point of Hebrews 11 is not, and I believe this for many years, up until very recently, carefully examining Hebrews 11 in the light of the rest of Hebrews. Hebrews 11 is not a who's who of faith. It is not a faith hall of fame, as is commonly taught. Uh, Again, it only lists the people before Christ who lived 
by faith. That's the key. The whole object of Hebrews 11 is not this faith hall of fame. It's to bring out specific examples of the just shall live by faith. And it brings out the ultimate object of our faith. Hebrews 12 2, looking onto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 11, in the flow of the new covenant uh, teaching and revelation of all of Hebrews, is not some sort of interruption of the thoroughly Christ-centered thought of the rest of Hebrews. Rather, Hebrews 11 shows us people who lived by faith, who were looking. Notice that common theme throughout the chapter. They were looking and had not yet received. But we, believers, those on this side of the cross, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we join them, those before the cross, in living by faith. And that's encouraging. We are not alone. Because saints throughout the millennia, before Christ and after, Christians after Christ, all that the Lord accomplished throughout the millennia, the church triumphant has walked by faith and found God faithful. And there are many who walk by faith today. So we draw great encouragement by seeing those who reach to us from the past and even since the cross and say, the walk of faith is not a walk of foolishness. Yes, God is faithful to fulfill all. You are not alone, dear Christian. So we see, and let me at the end of this uh, podcast, bring out what the reformers distilled in the reformation of the 15th century, 16th century. And they said this, that all that we receive from God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Boy, that says it all. And it really brings our whole lesson into full circle. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we praise you today that we can call you our Father because of your love. And as our Heavenly Father, You did not spare even your son for us. And if you didn't spare him, how much more, as it says, dear Lord, in Romans 8.32, will you with him give us all things, freely give us all things. Thank you, Lord, for your heart of love, dear Father. Thank you for your grace, Grace expressed in the one who came. Faith came, as it says in John 1.17, through Jesus Christ. Grace came through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of your perfect love, perfect acceptance, and perfect blessing of us. Not because we're so good, but because, Father, you are so good. Jesus is that good. And, Father, we thank you that it is by faith. 
It's not of works. It's not based on our righteousness or our goodness or anything of law. It is based purely upon your grace received through simple childlike faith. Father, I pray that you will continue to unfold the reality of walking by faith, living by faith, trusting in the grace of God, supplying right now through the finished work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.